This podcast is now streaming on the Accounting Influencers main show. Subscribe to the Accounting Influences podcast to listen to more content just like this. You can also watch this episode on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to learn even more from the very best experts, thought leaders and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Insights in Accounting. Insights in Accounting. Sponsored by Iris. Welcome to the Insights in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown, on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network. This is where we take an aspect of the news, things that are going on in the world, and relate it to you as accounting practitioners, bookkeepers, and the fintech professionals that serve them. I'm thrilled to have with me today our guest host, Carl Reader. Carl, you've always got an eye on the economy, not just the UK economy, but globally. What are you seeing is going on right now? I can sum it up in one word, Rob, change. I think that we all, no matter where we're living, can see the change that perhaps we in the UK have experienced under a magnifying glass. But globally, you know, we've um, we've seen the fluctuations in currencies across each other. We've noticed the crash in the crypto markets. We've noticed the rising inflation. You know, I've certainly heard stories about Australia now projecting 7% inflation. And I think for the UK, that's a target rather than a fear. Um, yeah, there's, there's this whole host of stuff going on politically, economically, and it's really uncertain times for um, businesses and then in turn their advisors. Carl, we've seen change before. I think back to the 2008 crash and those with longer memories will think of the turmoil and upheaval around times like that. What makes what we're looking at now any different to that? Okay, so for me, there's a few, um, few core issues. So the first one is that the 2008 crisis uh, was a, let, let's be honest, was a result of greed. It was a result of aggressive lending. Um, I can only really talk competently about the UK market, um, but I know it was a factor in the US um, with various subprime loans being packaged up. In the UK, we were seeing mortgages for 105%. We were seeing, um, you know, it was commonplace in 2007 for mortgages to be interest only, um, just from, a, from an affordability perspective with no endowment or repayment mechanism behind it. So in 2008, I think the crisis was very much a banking crisis. And in the early days, at least, it was very much a theoretical crisis for small businesses and individuals didn't notice, apart from the fact that they knew they um, couldn't sell their house for a little while. The problem that came out of the 2007-2008 crisis was that the mechanism to fix that crisis was to reduce interest rates. And interest rates came down to um, historic lows, certainly in the UK and the US. Um, down to kind of the regions that we'd seen in Japan, where um, money was virtually free of charge. That was their way of fixing it. So the problem we've got now is, um, I believe, down to a number of factors. First of all, don't ask me how they should have done it correctly, but they didn't fix 2008 correctly. So we were dealing with something that was already broken then? Absolutely. And I've been told that by um, people who were on the board of the banks who were most affected. Obviously can't name names or the banks involved, but... They know that the way the government approached it, the Bank of England, et cetera, they don't believe it was approached in the right way. Um, so 2008 wasn't properly fixed and we were living on artificially low interest, which um, had then propped up the, the value of real estate based on affordability. So what had happened 
was that yeah, if we again, if we take the example of the UK, we got into a position where a property would be quote worth seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds for a three bed property. Now that is ridiculous. Um, wherever you are in the world, um, whatever country, whatever region, that's an obscene amount of money, apart from perhaps for capital cities. But actually, it was relatively commonplace. It certainly wasn't average, but it was commonplace. And the only logical justification for it was the fact that the interest was so low. So it was affordable from a cash flow perspective, rather than a true affordability perspective, taking into account the sensitivity on interest rates and the fact that interest rates tend to norm at around 6%. So, so that's one factor. Factor number two was COVID. Um, there could have perhaps been the opportunity for the government to, um, and again, I'm talking from a UK perspective purely because it's where I um, have the most input and see the most media. I imagine other nations will feel similar. But COVID has an impact where it drained the resources of the government and um, obviously increased government debt rather than stabilising or reducing, which is the ideal of any country. So the, um, the coffers are empty in terms of the support that can be offered. Um, and then we've got, coming on to that, the um, rising cost of living, which has been fueled, if you pardon the fun, pun, by the cost of fuel, uh, both petrol that we put into our cars and um, the heating that we need to keep ourselves warm. Um, that's been escalated by the war in Ukraine. It's not solely down to that. Um, there's a number of reasons down to that, including... Uh, it's, it's not quite a monopoly, but it's not far off of a monopoly of energy providers um, who have got a grasp of the market and in turn the profits. Um, so, yeah, there's a number of factors which have come together to give us a position of reducing economic growth, if not declining at the point we're in a recession. Inflationary um, increases, which doesn't just hit the heating and lighting, but it hits our food because it hits um, you know, the deliveries, etc., etc. It affects the whole supply chain. Plus, the very real fact that households are now going to be squeezed by the interest rates. Because let's be honest, more households are in debt than not in debt. And that's just a fact of life by the fact that they've taken out mortgages. And those mortgages have either um, been used to acquire a property that's been overvalued based on the low interest rates. Or perhaps even taken debt, perhaps mortgages or um, consumer finance to fund a lifestyle that couldn't be afforded. So we've got lots of conflicting issues here. And there's not much wiggle room now. It's not as if we can go into the territory of negative interest rates. Um, we can see the trend globally for interest rates to be going up. And it's very uncertain times for everyone at the moment. We knew that something like this was coming up, Carl, because as the pandemic emerged, businesses were taking on loans. They were kicking repayments down the road they knew that there would be some kind of recession or payback. So governments and businesses should have been budgeting for this or making some allowances. But we've seen in the UK particularly how screwed up the recent budget changes have been and what a U-turn that's been. And governments, countries are struggling to get a handle on what is happening on a macro level as well as in their own region. Absolutely. And this is because it's fairly unprecedented. Now, I'm sure that a, a student of economics could tell me that for example, the Great Depression was similar circumstances. I, I don't know, but certainly in my lifetime, it's unprecedented. And um, I'm speaking anecdotally and based on what I see rather than economic theory. Um, so I'm not an economist. I don't claim to be. But what I can see is the mess that we're in right now. Um, in terms of the loans for business took, um, again, if we focus on the UK, because I know the nuances of the schemes, this actually was, it was a necessary evil to prop up UK business. 
But I don't believe that the support schemes were inventive enough. And the challenge with the loans is that on a number of occasions, the banks actually used the secured loans by the government to, on the flip side, withdraw unsecured facilities, which have only resulted in the banks being better off and the banks having stronger balance sheets rather than businesses. So businesses are carrying an unprecedented level of debt, certainly from what I've seen, um, and they've got these repayments now. The repayments would ordinarily have been affordable because the basis of it was, was the business doing okay before COVID? Will it get through? And if the loan would help it get through because it was impacted by COVID and it was doing okay before, then the theory is it would get back to normal and repayments can be made. Small problem with that, the war in Ukraine soon after. Nobody catered for that coming up. So that's perhaps why we're seeing um, the pressures on business now. They were protected during COVID. Again, in the UK, there's protection against insolvency, which I believe was probably mirroring global policies. But as we come out of that now, we lose those protections. We lose the access to finance. Banks are being incredibly robust with their lending criteria now. We're left in a position where businesses have this debt that they might not be used to paying, plus they have a downturn in customers willing to spend money. And that's a really tricky situation. You know, had it just been COVID and they come out and pay their debts, absolutely fine. But they've come out face first into a recession that isn't due to COVID. Actually, that's a whole different circumstance. I get, Carl, that the 2007-8 crisis was of our own making and the greed that you spoke of. The pandemic obviously was unprecedented. Nobody could have predicted that. But some of the mess we're in now is of our own making. I'm thinking particularly of the way the UK is not self-sufficient in its energy. OPEC are restricting oil production and releasing the barrels at the moment, but it doesn't bother America because they're pretty self-sufficient in the energy that they produce. But here in England, as an example, and Germany are another good example of getting it right. They've got great storage of energy so they can get through these tough times. But in England, it seems like we've put ourselves into a bit of a mess because we're so dependent on other nations and that affects our economy. Not particularly, Rob. So I'm actually going to contend that point that the UK only has 4% of its energy supplies from Russia. Okay. And let's be honest, it's the Russian pipelines that are the issue here with the sanctions on Russia, etc. And that's the only lever they've got globally. I think the, the fundamental issue, and then this brings us round to the conversation around um, the UK government U-turns on taxes and so on, is that it's been an ideological position of the UK government not to, um, not to look to tax or control the surplus profits that the energy companies are making. But let me, um, let me put this into context for you. Over the next two years, the energy companies, are uh, certainly the UK energy companies, are predicted to have surplus profits that over and above what they would normally have of 170 billion, 170 billion. Okay, so it's not it's not your energy provider that's making profit because that's where the controls are. So there's consumer controls in terms of price caps and so on. It's the guys who are supplying those. So it's the guys who are providing the energy to Eon or NPower or whoever you use who are making the profit here. And those guys are household names to us. It's Shell and BP. Um, they're mainly getting their oils from North Sea and so on. So it's, it's not from Russia. So actually, it's an ideological issue. And then that brings us round to the recent turmoil that was experienced in the UK. And I'm sure most listeners would have seen this, if they don't, even if they don't know the details. The problem there was that we had a prime minister and a chancellor who seemed determined to, um, to take on an ideological battle 
rather than a practical battle based on the position we're in. And I think the markets were unsettled, not necessarily by the measures that were implemented, but by the message of intent from the government by removing the um, levy on bankers bonuses and removing the 45% tax rate. So removing the very top levels of taxes for the riches. And it was a move that didn't need to be made because it doesn't actually, um, it doesn't cost or save much money. It's kind of indifferent, but it sends out the wrong message. And I think that when we're in these uncertain times, the one thing that we want from governments is leadership and certainty. We want effective communication. And that just simply didn't happen to the markets. We're not a political show here, but we appreciate how the government and the regulation affects the business world. But let's round this up, Carl, by asking what role do accountants play in this? They are leaned into by business owners as that trusted advisor, the signpost, the source of wisdom and clarity in the, these murky waters. So what is their role? Well, you just summed it up. It's about being that voice of reason, um, the voice of pragmatism at the moment and the voice of realism. I think that accountants have to be on top of this stuff. Um, yeah, they don't need to know how to fix it. They don't need to know the nuances. They don't need to know the details of any schemes or structures to the penny. But they need to know the direction of travel and roughly what is happening. So that when they're speaking to clients who um, might just be, um, yeah, if, you, if you excuse my broad brush approach here, might be a little bit wet behind the ears on this stuff and might be they might be seeing that there's a problem and hearing the news but not really understanding the reason why um so being led by the media actually accountants have got a strong place to um play by providing a sanity check a reality check but then also helping business owners through that difficult process of acting quickly reviewing where they, they are identifying immediate cost savings immediate opportunities and holding businesses accountable for implementation. I love what you're saying there. In the, he, accountants are historically focused by nature, but they've got to be very proactive in the now. But you're also, in alluding to the direction of travel, saying now is the time for advisory. Now is the time for future proofing. Now is the time for signposting where we are going and how you need to inoculate your business to thrive going forward. And let, let's remove the advisory nonsense. Accountants have always done advisory. Um, I'm not going to get into any debate as to whether it's advisory or not or whether tech tools are needed or not. You just need to pick up the phone, speak to your clients and be there. It's as simple as that. If you happen to be commercially savvy enough to convert that into a service and gift wrap it and sell it, great. If you find a bit of technology that helps you to do it, great. But the key thing, picking up that phone, speaking to your clients. It seems so simple, Carl, but it is a very stark message here that uh, accountants are the navigators. They're the, the lighthouse in the gloom in shining the way. Thank you so much for your insights on the news today. That's been great. Brilliant. Cheers, Mark. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Insights in Accounting. Insights in Accounting. Giving you the edge, the latest news, analysis and recommendations in the accounting and fintech world. Sponsored by IRIS.